Thanks for reading that to us, Kale. And a, a decent chunk uh, to get into this Wednesday lunchtime, a decent chunk to work through as we see all the different things that have happened in those 35 verses. And so I guess the question we ask as we start, as we get into it, what is going on here? As John puts his gospel together, as he puts this section, what is it that he wants us to get out of it as we encounter Jesus in these verses? I wonder if it's shown by almost the bookends of the passage we've just read, um, we've just had read to us. Have a look down, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then flick over verse 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love. We see it so clearly. John makes out how Jesus talks about his love. And love so relevant today. It seems to be sort of everywhere. We, we love love. We want it in our relationships. We want to feel it in our relationships. We're looking for love. We express love. I'm sure that if you were to head into Westminster, Trafalgar Square, those there will be talking about their love for the cause that they're out there protesting for. We all love love, and yet the implications of what love might look like will be different for different people. The way that love is shown can be so different for different people. And so, this lunchtime, in the 20-25 minutes we've got, we won't be able to unpick every detail of the verses we've just read. But as we get into it, and as we focus specifically on uh, the first 17 verses, Jesus as he washes his disciples' feet, as Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, to love one another, as Jesus says, that will be how a watching world will know that you are my, my disciples, what does love look like? Well, Jesus wonderfully shows us what real love looks like. So let's get into it. Let's have a look at what love, Jesus' love is. And as we do that, we'll see two aspects come out in Jesus' actions. I wonder if you noticed the detail that John gives us as uh, he describes what Jesus does. Have a look down as we look at, as we learn of the humility of Jesus' love. We have the context, verse 1, just before the Passover festival. We have the immediate context, beginning of verse 2, the evening meal was in progress. And it's in this setting that almost it feels like John slows everything down and says, notice what's going on. Notice the detail of what Jesus does. Have a look, verse 4. He, Jesus, got up from the meal. He takes off his outer clothing. He wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he gets water and pours it into a basin, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that's wrapped around him. In all the detail that John gives us, we see the wonderful beauty of Jesus' actions. 
the wonderful beauty of Jesus' love, the wonderful beauty of Jesus' humility as he humbles himself, stoops down low to wash his disciples' feet. It's beautiful. And yet realize that for the 12 disciples who were there with Jesus and for those who would have read it originally in the first century, rather than a beauty as they see or as they read about Jesus' actions, rather than beauty, it would be shock. Because you see, for us today, humility, humility is a really attractive virtue, right? It's it's something we want to be. It's something we enjoy if someone says it of us, that they're a, a humble man, a humble woman. Yet back in the first century, humility was something that you didn't want. In fact, humility was associated with, if you like, the extension of the word of humiliation. To be humble is something that you wouldn't want to be. You you wouldn't want to grow in. You wouldn't want to aspire to. In fact, you really wouldn't want it to be said of you. Did you know there's no example in Jewish or Greco-Roman writing in the first century of ever of a superior, ever washing the feet of an inferior? It just doesn't happen. You'd never do it. In fact, you'd hardly ever do it or see it happen peer to peer. In fact, in Jewish culture, to wash someone's feet was such a lowly act that no Jewish person would do it. They wouldn't even get Jewish slaves to do it. It was only reserved for Gentile slaves. It's it's almost as ridiculous as tonight, as you finish your meal, a knock on the door, and the queen turns up in her marigolds and and her apron and says, have you done, have you finished? Let me wash up for you. It just wouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. And so picture the scene. Through the disciples' eyes in the first century, as they turn up for this meal, as they look around maybe for the basin of water and say, well, where's the water? Where's the servant? Who's going to wash my feet? Maybe I'll bring myself to wash my master's feet, Jesus' feet. But the other disciples, no way would I do that. And yet, almost as if, whilst they're thinking, Jesus gets up, he takes off his outer clothing, he wraps a towel around his waist, donning the the appearance of a servant, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he performs the very act that the disciples were just so unwilling to do for themselves. This is Jesus, shows wonderful humility, shows humiliation, This is what love is. This is who God is. And if that's not enough to stoop down low to wash dirty feet clean, as we understand the context into which Jesus is doing this, the time into which Jesus is doing this, it gives us a greater appreciation of the depths of Jesus' humiliation. You see, Jesus knows that this is the last meal he's going to have. Jesus knows this is the last time he's spending with his disciples. Jesus knows what tomorrow morning is bringing. His hour is coming, as we looked at last week. Have you ever had um, that experience where 
Uh, you know you've got a, a, a big deadline or a meeting coming up um, tomorrow morning. You, you've done all the hard work, you know you've done your part, but there's still the presentation to come. And, and so there is with it the kind of butterflies in the stomach the previous day of, of the worry and nervousness of how it's all going to go. And so as a result, you can just feel almost preoccupied with that. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, your thoughts are just on tomorrow. How's that going to go? What have I done? Have I done enough for it? And so then what can happen is, is whilst you're physically there in the room, we have the expression that you're miles away. And so whilst you're physically with us, you're just so preoccupied with thoughts that you're just miles away. And, and yet, because we kind of know the feeling and because we can kind of relate to it, as soon as the apology comes out, sorry, I, I was just miles away, so I'm, I'm just preoccupied, we're happy to accept the apology. I know. I can understand what you're going through. I know what the feeling's like. Well, if anyone has an excuse to be miles away in this room as they eat this meal, surely it's Jesus, right? He's on the eve of his hour. He knows that tomorrow comes his greatest time of, of unimaginable suffering. And yet, he's the only one in the room who's aware that there's no servant present. He's the one in the room who's ready to be totally other person-centered. I mean, I can struggle to do it in my best moments. Here's Jesus doing it in his hardest moment. Jesus stoops low to wash the feet of the disciples, an incredible act of humility. Even more so that he's on the eve of his darkest hour. And yet even more so when you consider some of the company with him. You see, John wants us to be so clear that in amongst those 12 disciples is Judas, who will go on to betray him. Do you see that in verse 2? The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And then again in verse 11, uh, for he knew, Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. We know that the betrayer is there as Jesus does, does this. Jesus knows the betrayer is there as he does this. Jesus washes his disciples' feet, all of them, knowing that his betrayer is in his presence. Something we see, verse 18, that has been predicted in Scripture before that will happen to fulfill Scripture Something that Jesus says in verse 19, he tells his disciples about to help them know who he is. And yet, as they sit, having their meal, Jesus still prepared to stoop down low and wash the feet of his disciples, even Judas, his betrayer. And so, before we jump too quickly to think, so what do I do in response to this? How, how should I act in response to this? We will think about that, and we will think about that in our second point. But before we get there, let us marvel at Jesus. Jesus, King of the world, who loves us to stoop low and get his hands dirty as he washes our feet. Jesus, King of the world, 
who loves us to stoop down low and even wash the feet of the man who would go on to betray him. Oh, the humility of Jesus' love. And it's not just that Jesus wants to do this to show how nice he is in washing some dirty feet. No, it's so much more than just that. And we see that in the exchange that he has with Peter in verses 6 to 10. We see that this isn't just a kind act, which it is, but it's an act to help point forward to what Jesus has come to do. It's an act that shows us the cleansing of Jesus' love. Because you see, as Jesus works around the circle, Peter can't take it. Do you see it? Verse 6, he, Jesus, comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? But Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. You will understand because this isn't just a case of me washing your feet. It's so much more than that. I want to show you what I am come to do on the cross. Peter and his stubbornness still says no. And so then do you see Jesus' response to him in verse 8? Have a look down. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You see, here's the reality for every human being, Jesus says. We're all dirty and we're all in need of washing. And so often we don't want to hear that. We don't accept it. We don't like hearing it. We hate being told it. But I think if we were to stop and, and, and be honest with ourselves, be humble enough maybe, we'd be prepared to admit that we're not perfect, that there's parts of us that are dirty, that there's parts of us that we would want to change what we have done or who we are. So often these are the things that, that we would hate other people to know about. We'd hate the thought of it being revealed to other people. And, and yet if it is, so quick we are to find the excuses to justify it. Oh, if, you, if you'd have known what I was going through that morning when I said that. Oh, if, if you had said that to me, if, if, if someone had said that to you, oh, you'd definitely react in the same way. Is so true morally in how we interact with one another, but it's also true in how we interact and respond to God. You see, the Bible says we're dirty. We've lived at times, or maybe our whole lives, as if God just doesn't exist, not interested in what he has to say, not interested in how he calls us to live. And as a result, we're dirty. Jesus says we need cleaning. And Jesus says unless he cleans us, then we have nothing to do with him. We need washing. And so Jesus' act here points us forward to Jesus' work on the cross where he comes to wash us clean. But he doesn't just come to wash us clean, but he washes us clean with an effective washing. Have a look again at Peter's reaction, verse 9. As Peter realizes, you, I'll have no part with you. Well, I want a part with you, so come, come, Jesus. Just wash me all over. Not just my feet, my hands, my head as well. But again, he's not quite got it, verse 10. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. 
Jesus uses this picture of, of having a bath, saying, Peter, if you've had your bath in the morning, when you turn up to your host's house for dinner, you don't need another bath. It's, it's only your feet that need cleaning from the dusty and dirty roads that you've walked along. Jesus says, once I've washed you, you are clean. You see, it's not that Jesus' death gives us a clean slate that's clean for us to just make muddy again, and then we need to come again hoping that he could clean it again. Now, Jesus doesn't just give us a clean slate. He gives us a clean state. Our status is changed. We are clean. And so whilst our feet get muddy, whilst our feet get dirty, whilst we keep messing up from time to time, whilst we still need to keep going back to God for that continued forgiveness, because our status is clean, we can come back with confidence, knowing that he will always forgive us. This is King Jesus, the servant king, who humbles himself to serve others with a complete other person-centeredness. This is King Jesus, the servant king, who goes to the cross so we might be washed clean forever. And so then, what is our response to all of this? Well, friends, let me put it to you. Wouldn't we be crazy to reject this Jesus? You see, Judas got it spectacularly wrong as he goes on to betray Jesus, as he turns against Jesus, as it's put in verse 18. He who shared my bread has turned against me. So don't turn against like Judas. Don't turn against like Judas. Judas, one of the twelve, being with Jesus, there, sat, having the meal with Jesus, goes on to turn against Jesus, rejecting him, betraying him. And so the sad reality can be, don't be surprised at those who, who appear as if they're following Jesus, and yet go on to turn against him. Don't turn against like Judas, and don't be proud like Peter. Did you notice his pride in his exchange with Jesus in verse 6? The original Greek puts the emphasis on the you and the my in what Peter says. So verse 6, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And again, verse 8, no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And, and we can be forgiven for reading this and think, hey, hey, fair play, Peter, you've kind of got the right order here, almost a respect towards Jesus to say, Jesus, no, 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 you're far too high, you're far too important to be washing someone like my, me and my feet. But do you see the pride in Jesus in refusing to accept this gift of Jesus? to not let him wash his feet. And so I wonder, or I put it to you, then in every single one of us is a little bit of Peter. A pride that whilst we may accept that we are a bit dirty, we refuse to accept the help that makes us clean. We want to know, okay, I'm dirty, so what do I need to do to make me clean? Tell me and I'll do it. I can achieve it on my own. You know the kind of person who, who just doesn't accept help? 
who, when you point something out that needs changing and then you offer them the help, they go, no, 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 don't bother yourself. I think at my best, when I reject help, I, I, I kind of make the excuse that I don't want to put people out. Yet at my worst, I refuse help because I don't want people to see me as weak and not being able to do it for myself. Jesus is saying we, we need to give in and let him clean us. Jesus says if he doesn't clean us, then we have no part with him. So don't turn away like Judas. Don't be proud like Peter, but be humble like Jesus. Do you notice the call from Jesus? Have a look as I read verses 14 to 17. Now that I, Jesus, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you do these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Will we humble ourselves like Jesus and follow him? Will we wash the feet of those around us? Not literally, I don't think. I don't think Jesus is giving us a literal command to carry out. We don't see that in the early church and throughout the New Testament. We don't see that done regularly. But Jesus is saying, will you have an attitude of service and humility that's prepared to effectively wash the feet of those around you? Will you have an attitude that will humbly serve those around you who are in need? And if we don't, well, let me challenge you that if we're not prepared to effectively wash the feet of those around us, well, we're effectively saying that we're greater than our own Lord Jesus Christ, who was prepared to stoop down low and wash our feet. I wonder if um, one of the hardest things for uh, people who aren't Christians, who, who don't believe in Jesus, one of the hardest things to accept is that they might hear something about Jesus. They um, have heard some of the things he's done, some of the things he said. They've even looked into his death and resurrection. And yet it can so often finish with the same question. So what do I now need to do to get this? What do I need to do to, to, to get God's pleasure or favor? What do I need to do to be saved? And, and I think it's just kind of built into the human psyche. Nothing comes for free, right? I can remember back uh, when I was at university helping uh, with the Christian Union coffee stall, which we'd run uh, during the night for people who came out of the club. 2 a.m., people would sort of stumble out and we'd offer a free tea or coffee. And, and the number of times people would accept it, puzzled, and look at us and go, so what do you want? And we'd go, no, 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 it's free. It's just yours. And they'd look, go, so what's the catch? And we're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, what do we have to do? And they just couldn't accept it. Nothing comes for free, right? We've got to earn anything in this world. We realize that. We see it in our workplaces. We've got to earn our stripes. We deserve what we deserve through what we do. And so we say, well, surely it's the same with Christianity, right? Surely it's the same with Jesus. Well, as we finish, 
Do you notice the order here? It's Jesus' act first, and then our response second. It's Jesus' grace first, and then our life second. It's Jesus' love first, and then our love second. Have a look, verse 12. Do you understand, Jesus says, what I have done for you? Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the love of Jesus. This is wonderful grace. He acts first. He comes down. He stoops low. He gets on his hands and knees and washes our feet. He has nails through his hands and feet to a piece of wood and dies in our place. He's done it. And so he calls us. And will we follow in his example? Will we love others as he has loved us? Will we serve others as he has served us? Will we be so other person-centered as he is so other person-centered? Will we be prepared to lower ourselves? Being humble, serving the person in our office who's maybe below us in the structure or in the pay grade. Will we never think that we're above that job because I've been here that length of time? Realizing, of course, we have our jobs to do, our responsibilities to carry out, and so it's not a case of don't do your job, do someone else's job. But what are the kind of things we can just be tempted? I'm just so above that. That's not for me to do. Or what about when it can get stressful and deadlines are approaching and we're so consumed with us and what we've got to do? How then can we humble ourselves and follow the example of our servant king who thought about others in his greatest hour of need? Remembering that Just as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his act of love as he humbly stoops down low to wash our feet. Thank you for his act of love as he goes to the cross to wash us clean. Father, help us to love Jesus more, to fall in love with him. And as we do that, may Jesus' love empower and spur us on to serve those around us to be other person-centered in our offices, workplaces, with family and friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.